Hello and welcome to a different type of episode for They Don't Teach This in Law School. A lot of my favorite podcasts uh, have these type of mini episodes. There's a movie lambasting podcast in particular um, called How Did This Get Made that does these weekly or every other week mini episodes. Uh, the Flophouse does it as well. But there are a lot of other shows that do kind of these just commentary style episodes. Alex Hormozzi's podcast, The Game, which is not based on the Neil Strauss book, The Game, which is about pickup artists, two totally different things. But I've always known in the relaunch of this that I've wanted to incorporate this type of episode where you just get to hear a little bit from me uh, and what I'm doing in terms of coaching people, what I'm hearing from other law firm owners, uh, what I'm reading, what is generally going on potentially with the business of law firm alchemy. So occasionally a little bit of inside baseball behind the curtains uh, type of info. But what I want is for each of these episodes, which I'm going to call the coffee episodes or the coffee sodes is something you can listen to over a cup of coffee. And I have my coffee right in front of me. Um, and look, you know, some people enjoy their coffee over the span of an hour. I'm someone who waits for my coffee to cool off to an unacceptable degree. Like I, I, I offend people who love coffee. Let me say I love coffee, but I have a gutter palate for the stuff. I love hotel swill that's been watered down just as, as as much as I love the finest espresso that is served to me. Yes, I will appreciate the espresso. I really will dig into it, but you know, having your 17th cup of hotel coffee when you're doing a long event because you know it's watered down and basically decaf at that point, there's something pleasurable about that experience to me. My apologies to all of you who love your coffee piping hot as well. Because boy, oh boy, do I have a lukewarm cup of coffee. Just love it. So, you know, this an opportunity to sit down, listen to something over a cup of coffee for one of these coffee sodes and feel like, you know, we're just sitting across the table at your favorite coffee shop, across the, the kitchen table, whatever it is, and you're, you're hearing about something that's, that's going on. Uh, and what I actually want to talk with you about today is some data advice. So data is really important. Uh, obviously like that. Wow. That was just the, <laughs> that was the dumbest, most bland statement I could have made for an episode like this. Uh, data is important. Yeah. No, duh, Charlie data is important. The problem is when data becomes over important, I've had a lot of discussions recently about when is data value. You know, there's the concept of statistical significance, for example, if you have three consults with clients and none of those clients sign, you are not actually at the realm of statistical significance. Now, we might call it a pattern, you know, two is not a pattern, but three is, but we are not at statistically significant. If you've done 27 consults, if I'm not mistaken, 27 is a weird magic number of statistical significance. So is 400 in the world of polling, like political polling, 400 is a magic number. But what we're looking for is, do we have enough experience, enough uh, trial sets that we can figure out, is this a relevant piece of data? You send out one email newsletter, and let's say it gets this outstanding 68% open rate, and the next one gets a 32% open rate. Well, do we consider that statistically significant? No, because it's only two email newsletters that have gone out. If you're sending out weekly, you would need to go through nearly a little over half a year of sending out that email newsletter to 
truly understand trends that are happening. This is actually one of the reasons why increasing frequency on a lot of different measures, whether it be marketing or performance reviews or the various metrics that you track and tracking them more frequently, that is one of the reasons that frequency is so valuable. It actually ha- it couches in there then a uh, contrary idea. This is going to offend some people, but I haven't done my job if I haven't offended someone today. And that is if you are not willing to stay frequent with the piece of data, stop tracking it because you're going to make decisions on incomplete data sets. If you are not serious about the number, if it doesn't represent a number that you would track every single week, stop tracking it. At the very least, stop stop observing it, okay? For those of you who are now starting to shout at their uh, podcast widget doohickey whatever, you need to stop observing it. If you're going to observe it every three months, understand that you are not really looking for a trend. You're probably seeking confirmation bias. You're probably asking for data sets, hoping to hear what you want to hear. When we ruthlessly track data over a long period of time, we have to be open to ideas that we don't want to hear. We don't want to hear that we were wrong about people liking this particular marketing message. We were wrong about this sales format for appointments. We were wrong about doing YouTube shorts instead of long form videos. You have to be open to that when you are tracking data frequently. If you track data infrequently, it's because you want to hear the numbers you want to hear. So if you're not willing to live with the numbers, stop. Just stop, okay? That's, I'm going to ask that of you. Now, there are a few quotes. Uh, I've been reading University of Berkshire Hathaway, little by little, chopping through it. It's a guy, uh, the author is Daniel uh, Picot, Picot, P-E-C-A-U-T, Picot. You're going to hear a lot of weird voices on this show. Uh, with Corey Wren and Daniel Pierre, uh, he has attended shareholder meetings for Berkshire Hathaway since I think the earliest one is 1984, maybe 1982 in the book. Um, but anyhow, he, he's, he attends them. And so he's got these great quotes from Buffett and Charlie Munger and Buffett and Munger are well known for pulling their own quotes as well. So I want to share some of these with you as advice regarding data. So this is from Warren Buffett. If you have to carry to the third decimal, it is too complicated. Now, obviously, Buffett is someone who's dealing with very, very large businesses where you actually can carry to the third decimal. You can get uh, deep levels of data that you pro- that that people would want to consider relevant. Like people would consider a thousandth of a percentage point to be heavily relevant. And basically what Buffett is saying is that if you have to do that, it's too complicated. For him, it's, okay, if you have to carry maybe to the hundredth decimal, maybe it's starting to make sense. In your law firm, if you are making decisions based on something past the decimal point, let me say this. If you're making decisions on something past the decimal point, it's too complicated. If you're trying to move the needle by a tenth of a percentage, Unless you have a $100 million law firm, the answer is no. This actually goes to a concept that I'm, I'm 
kind of noodling with, I'm trying to, I'm trying to challenge my assumptions on and trying to put in, but trying to put it into place in a coaching capacity. Once I've gathered enough information and ideas, there's some insight into a uh, kind of a process here. And it's this idea of the million dollar data point, which uh, is the data point that you're tracking actually worth a million dollars or more to your firm if you got it right. Or is it just data for the sake of being data? I don't know that. And look, million dollar data point, obviously it rolls off the tongue. Maybe the more accurate version of it would be the, uh, you know, a six figure data point, but million dollar data point is what I'm experimenting with right now. As I'm listening to what coaching clients are talking about, as I'm listening to guests on podcasts, et cetera, you know, what type of data sets are they tracking and what impact can we reasonably expect that data to have on the practice? So this idea of like where we're carrying the decimal point, what are we actually tracking down to really important because you don't want to get into things that are so complicated that you're moving the needle by such a small percentage. Again, nine figure firm, different game, $10 million data points at a nine figure firm. And frankly, at a nine figure firm, they actually can track down to decimal points, six figure, seven figure, low eight figure firm. If you are so focused on moving the needle by 0.01 or 0.1%, you are in too deep. And I'm going to ask you to back out a little bit and really think about what are my data points I can move by 10%, you know, the Kaizen approach, moving multiple data points by 10% in your favor yields massive change. In your case, if you want to get massive change out of decimal points, you might have to move 100 data points. And that's too much for a small firm to do. It's just too much. Uh, you don't have that capacity to find a hundred little things to do when you haven't solved for the major issues yet in the firm. Uh, the next that I have is, uh, and these quotes will kind of go together. This one's from Charlie Munger. Uh, the worst mistakes are made from the nicest graphs. We need more, quote, enlightened common sense. So the author was sort of summarizing Munger's point that the worst mistakes are made from the nicest graphs. I mean, let that, let that sink in, right? When was the last time that you looked at a data set and you thought it was going well and you overindulge the existence of that data? Like, oh, you know, we're closing, we're closing 95% of cases that come in for appointments. And now we think that we want to preserve that close rate. This actually goes to a podcast I recorded recently with Jan Roos and Jan, um, who I really spit one of the great like bits of wisdom out to a group that I ran in the past, about you shouldn't be closing 100% of your appointments. If you're doing that, you probably are not taking enough risks. You're not trying to generate enough appointments. And that in and of itself is a huge problem for your practice going forward. So we got to think about how are we generating enough appointments that our close rate is not 100%? If you're trying to keep your close rate at 95%, the question may become, are we trying to keep lead quality literally so high as to be an impossible to maintain measure and we're too heavily qualifying people up front? If that's the case, if we're too heavily qualifying people up front, we may be missing out on opportunities that if we just brought them in for appointments, and put them through whatever rigor, whatever process we have, we would maximize those people. This is what Jan refers to as intrinsic value. Go listen to that episode. It's a previous episode of the show. Uh, I, I think that Jan is, is very bright. He's simply spot on with this. So go listen to that episode. Um, 
This, and then, you know, he talks about enlightened common sense, right? We do need more enlightened common sense. Sometimes the obvious data option is right in front of your face. Uh, but these can be hard things to see, frankly. This actually is why, um, this is one of the things that is brought to the table in a coaching relationship that I have with one of my clients is there are things that might appear to be obvious to an outside observer, but when you are in the weeds, it can be very difficult. I heard uh, Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income recently say on a little uh, networking mastermindy type of thing that I was on with him, uh, he said, it's hard to see the label when you're inside the bottle, right? Again, great quote. It's hard to see the label when you're inside the bottle. And when you are busy running the firm, it can be really hard to see what others might see as an outside observer. This is the power of, of course, having a coach, having outsiders looking at the firm from a, a critical but constructive point of view. And then the last quote they have is actually from uh, the economist uh, Keynes, one of the all-time great economists. Uh, and he says, I would rather be vaguely right than precisely wrong. Anytime you're dealing with a business that is under $10 million per year, comfortably, and even higher than that, vaguely right yields the greater result than being over precise and ending up really wrong. Now, obviously, we're creating a dichotomy there, right? We have something that's right and we have something that's wrong. But listen to his preference. I would rather be vaguely right than precisely wrong. It speaks to how deep we go into data sets, how much we let them over-influence our thinking, and how we can also seek out confirmation bias, uh, which if you're looking for vaguely versus precise, it's uh, if you imagine firing a bow and arrow, right? I'm not going to use firearms. I'm going to use bow and arrow for this example. What is your shot grouping? If you get all of your shots very close together, but way off target, that is precise. You are hitting the same place, keeping your arrows grouped together. Now, if your arrows are a little bit looser in their spread, but all of them on average are closer to the target, sort of surrounding the target, you are more accurate. So I'd rather be vaguely accurate than precisely wrong would be the way that I would put the quote in that area. When you look at your data, you want to use it to inform your enlightened common sense to make vaguely right decisions. And enough of those decisions made over a long enough period of time will create immense accuracy and growth in your law firm. Guaranteed. That's one thing I mentioned Alex Ramosi's post, uh, podcast, The Game, earlier. That's one thing that I know he and I would agree on that uh, adding a longer time domain to what you are trying to achieve dramatically improves the outcome It is why when i'm holding clients accountable we are being held accountable over the long term not to do one big broad thing here and now it is pieces chopped up to keep the momentum going and to continue to make as right of decisions as humanly possible knowing full well knowing full well you will not get 100 of the decisions right plain and simple you won't get 100 of the decisions right but if we can use the right data sets combined with enlightened common sense to make vaguely accurate decisions rather than spending too much time trying to get absolute precision. We will move faster, we will grow faster, we will enjoy the process, and we will have momentum that our competitors simply do not have. 
So that's that's some stuff that I pulled out of that University of Berkshire Hathaway about data, but also that conversation with Jan. So it's been bouncing around a lot. Find your six-figure or million-dollar data points in your firm and start thinking about what is relevant to track. What if I affected this data set would have significant impact on my life and law firm? Let's focus on those instead of getting distracted by all the other decimal points that we could possibly chase after. All right, I, I think this is a cool style of, of episode, this coffee-sode. I'm looking forward to more of these going forward, and you're actually going to see probably some other styles of episodes get worked in here. Because again, I want this to be the most, not just most informative, but most interesting, enjoyable, conversational podcast possible. I want this to be something that is equal parts inspirational, ideation, and comfort food at the same time for the entrepreneurial law firm owner. The reminder that you're in a place where it's okay to be doing what you're doing. It's okay to be the entrepreneur. It's okay to have that burden. It's okay to have these weird thoughts that no one else is having, this this maverick self that lives in you, that all of it is a-okay. It is encouraged. And you know, just celebrating that, living in that, but also having some fun along the way, right? Let's not be too self-serious about all of it. Let's enjoy this one life that we're given. And I hope this podcast is part of an enjoyable, informed life for each and every one of us. Uh, So if you have feedback about this episode, hit me up on a social channel. Most of my handles are uh, Charlie Mann, C-H-A-R-L-E-Y-M-A-N-N. And if you hit me with a follow on any of those platforms, especially over like the next six months, I will just go ahead and automatically follow you back. Building this community, building these relationships, you know, the first people who are interacting in there are going to have first opportunities for all kinds of stuff. Uh, even simple things like, Hey, as I start writing content, producing content, shout outs, links back to websites, etc. So go follow me on the social platforms at Charlie man, C H A R L E Y. Uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, um, oh, and don't forget the Law Firm Alchemy YouTube channel. The handle there is at Law Firm Alchemy. And we started publishing a bunch of videos on there, uh, including uh, some of the podcast episodes are going to be out on there, but also brand new content. So go and subscribe to that channel as well. There's a lot of information and opportunities out there, and I am just laying it all out for you to use as you see fit. So I will see you uh, on the next episode of They Don't Teach This in Law School. Until then... Wish you the greatest success.